Hebrews chapter 11, I mean chapter 10, and verse 35. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 35. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse number 35 is a good, encouraging scripture. I was looking at it this morning. And it was a blessing. It's a familiar scripture, but I think it's, it's, it's um, important to look at it from time to time. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 35 at the Amplified says, Do not fling, or do not therefore fling away your fearless confidence. For it has glorious and great reward. He says, For you need, you have need of patient endurance to bear up under the difficult circumstances without compromising. So that when you have carried out the will of God, you will receive or you may receive and enjoy the full, to the full, what is promised. He says, don't fling away your fearless confidence because it's going to have a reward. The things that you're doing for God, God is going to reward them. And he says, you have need of patient endurance to bear up under the circumstances. So he's indicating to us some of the times the reason why God has us go through the process of waiting is to build us up in this area of endurance. So that we have patient endurance so that we're able to bear up under the circumstances without compromise. So God has a tendency to make us go through the process of waiting and waiting and waiting and we're like Lord what's going on why is it taking so long and he said because in the process of the wait that's when I strengthen and build you up during the process of the wait that's when I get those things of doubt out of your system during the process of the wait I begin to separate you from the areas of unbelief so that you see me only he says, so that when you are in the place, in the thing that God has intended for your life, that you won't have a, you won't have an inclination to compromise your standards because you have been built up during the process of endurance so that you know how to stand. You know how to stay encouraged. You know how to do the things that needs to be done in order to be successful. He says, for you need, you have need of patient endurance to bear up under the difficult circumstances without compromise, without compromising, so that when you have carried out the will of God, you may receive, notice the term out of the Amplified, and enjoy to the full what is promised. Because it's possible for you to receive what is promised and not enjoy it to the full. Why? Because you compromise during the journey of the way. You compromise some standards. You compromise your belief systems. You compromise in the way. You compromise on the journey. And therefore, yes, you may get manifestation, but you don't get to enjoy it to the fullest because it's tainted. Out of the uh, New Living Translation, it says, so do not throw away, your throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Don't throw it away. Don't fling it away. He says, remember the great reward it brings to you. And he says, patient endurance is what you need now. So that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all 
that he has promised. Father, we thank you and we give you praise. We thank you, Lord, we'll not fling away our confidence. We thank you, Lord, that you're the one that rewards. You're the one that sees all. You're the one that rewards faithfulness. And so, Father, in the journey of this thing called life that we're on, Lord, we just continue to look to you, believing that what you said surely shall come to pass. And we just thank you, Lord, that in the process of the wait, we thank you, Lord, for building up an endurance on the inside of us that will carry us to the finish line. We give you praise, we give you glory, and we give you honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, in the authority of the name of Jesus, Lord, we bless you and we praise you for this opportunity to get into your word on this morning. Father, I pray, Lord, let revelation knowledge flow freely, unchecked and uninterrupted by any satanic or demonic force. I pray, Lord, that you would indeed speak through my vocal cords and think through my mind. I pray, Lord, none of me and all of you. I pray for articulation of your heart. I also pray, Lord, that the gifts of the Spirit would be in operation and manifestation on this morning. We be careful to give you all the praise and all the glories. In Jesus' name we pray, everyone, to say amen. Let's make this confession of our faith. Say, Father, I've come to receive revelation wisdom and understanding from your holy word and I fully expect the Holy Spirit to bear witness with my spirit concerning revelation of the word and how to apply it in my life on a daily basis and everyone did say amen hey good morning welcome to church praise God over the last little while, we've been talking about the prescription for living a failure-proof life. The prescription for living a failure-proof life. And we've indicated two particular elements in regards to this prescription. First one we said is that we need to embrace discipleship and looking at the complexities of what it means to embrace discipleship, becoming a learner of Jesus Christ. And then we've indicated to you that the second area is this area of servanthood. Now, we've said that servanthood is essentially defined as a disciple, so a pupil, a learner, if you will, that is submitted to the will of God to fulfill God's mission within the earth, thereby giving God glory through their life. That's what a servant is. It is a disciple, someone that's learning, someone that's developing. That doesn't mean that somebody's arrived, if you will. But we're always growing, we're always developing, but it's a, a disciple that is submitted to the will of God for or to fulfill God's mission within the earth, thereby giving glory uh, to God through their life. And we've indicated to you, therefore, that servanthood plus mission is what gives authority in life or grants the anointing. Servanthood plus the mission, plus the assignment. We can say submission plus the mission. Submitting to what God says and learning what the mission is, is what places you in the position to be anointed. It's what places you in the position to have authority as God has indicated to you. But now we've also indicated to you there are two components inside of this area of servanthood, which is, of course, which I've just indicated a second ago, which is submission is one to God's assignment. But it's also this other element of love of God, love of God. And this becomes the issue in regards to the reason why maybe so many people are not operating in this area of servanthood. It's a disconnect from this area of the love of God. 
Because if you're going to be committed to the mission that God is assigning you and submitted to where he's leading you, then this area of the love of God has to be in its proper seat. And this area of this affection for God has to be the driving force. Dare I say, the love of God or the relationship that you have with God has to be the first principle in your servanthood. If you're going to do what God's assigned you to do, what keeps me going in the rough areas is my relationship. What keeps me going when things are even going well is the relationship. What keeps me going when things aren't going so well is the relationship. The love of God has to be in its proper seat or there's going to be issues in regards to your servanthood. So this morning, my assignment is to talk more about this area of the relationship that we have with God. I call this prescription 2.1. <laughs> prescription 2.1, which I would say is called embracing God as your father. Embracing God as your father. We've sung just a few moments ago a series of songs that I selected for the purpose of it highlighting this area of God as Father. Highlighting this area as God is good. It's important that we understand this particular concept because again, if the relationship with God is out of its proper seat, then we're gonna have issues where the servanthood is concerned. If the relationship with God is not properly seen, then we're going to have stagnation that's going to happen. If the relationship with God is not in its proper seat, then you are not working, as I've been saying, from the position of love to do the work, but you're working to get God to love you when he already said he loved you. So let's begin, if you will, and I'm going to teach a little bit this morning. First John chapter 4. I say that to say that get your Bibles. Let's get ready to get into the word this morning. Amen. All right, 1 John chapter 4, and we're going to look at verse 7 through 8. 1 John chapter 4. The scripture says, Beloved, let us love one another. This is John speaking. He says, let's love one another. Why should we love one another? He says, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and know of God. So my knowing God has everything to do with my capacity and my ability to love. He says, love one another because love is from God. It's of God, if you will. And then he says, verse number eight, watch this. He says, he that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. The person that doesn't walk in love is a person that doesn't know God. Why? Because he says God is love. He is love. Now watch this in the Amplified Version of the Bible. It says, beloved. Let us love one another for love is or springs from God. And he who loves his fellow men is begotten, watch the term, born of God and is coming progressively to know and understand God, to perceive and recognize and get a better and clearer knowledge of him. God is love. He says, verse number eight. He who does not love has not become acquainted with God. Now, that's interesting. He says the one that doesn't walk or operate in love is not acquainted with God. And why is that? Because he says, does not, does not and never did know him for God is love. 
So the reason why the person that doesn't walk in love is not acquainted with God because God is love. God is love. He says essentially that God or the to love is of God and it's from God because it's, it's who he is. It's a part of his characteristic to be the God of love because that's who he is. And for the person that does not operate in love, the person that does not walk in love, the person that does not display love, they are displaying the fact that they don't know God. Wait now, you're telling me the person that operates in power. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says that we can operate in the power of God and still not walk in the love of God. It talks about the fact that you can do great and mighty and wonderful things in the name of God and still not walk in love. Why is that? Because the person that does not walk in love is not acquainted with God. If you don't have a heart and a compassion for people, if you don't have a heart of love, he says, you don't know me because the essence of who I am is love. You remember in the uh, series that we spoke uh, about on last year, we talked about one of the voice. We can recognize the voice of God because the voice of God is always the voice of love. Now. Let's look over here, if you will, to Psalm chapter 5. Psalm chapter 5 and verse number 12. Look at this in the New Living Translation. It says, I love how it reads here. It says, for you bless the godly, O Lord. Now watch this. He says, you surround them with your shield of love. You bless the godly and you surround, therefore, the godly with your shield of love. You know, the, the love of God, when you begin to understand how much God loves you, becomes a shield for you. The love of God, when you begin to perceive the fact how much he really does care about you, becomes a source of protection for you in the world that we live in. Now watch this. Let's look over, if you will, to uh, Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3, 11 through verse 12. Now watch this. The scripture says, my child, don't reject the Lord's discipline and don't be upset when he corrects you. Verse 12, for the Lord corrects those he loves. Notice the term, just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. So the fact that God is correcting you or saying, now you're not going to be able to carry that into 2022. You're not going to be able to carry that into March. It's because he's displaying that one, he delights in you and that he loves you. He says, this is an illustration of just like a father that delights in his children. When he corrects you, it shows you that he loves you. Now watch this, Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 9. Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 9. Uh, the King James Version of the Bible says, Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we, watch the term, not much rather be in subjection unto the father of spirits and live? to the father of spirits and live. Now notice this. He goes on and he says, for verily for a day, a few days chasing us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit 
that we might be partakers of his holiness. Let's read this out of the New Living Translation. That particular passage of scripture, it says, since we've respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? He says that the originator of who you are is from God. Shouldn't we, if you submit it to your natural father, should you not much more submit to your heavenly father and live? He says, verse 10 out of the New Living, he says, for our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years. Doing the best, watch this, they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. He says, yeah, there's only a time period where your natural fathers discipline their children. You come to a point in age where you, you grown and then the discipline area of the father ceases and we move into a different spot where we are relating to you as an adult. But he says, your father, your heavenly father is not like this. He disciplines us for our lives. He disciplines us for our good. And he says specifically, he disciplines us for the purpose of developing within us holiness. Well, holiness, and if we were to boil it down to what it essentially is, is agreement with him. So his discipline, because watch this, we said again, God is love. So love is disciplining us to become more in agreement with him who is love. Now, as I was reading and meditating on this particular passage of scripture, the issue that began to seek on the inside of me in regards to this is this area of fathership. If you grew up in a home where there was a father there, then there is something to point to in the natural, even where, where the writer of Hebrews is saying that, don't you understand? Look at what your natural father does and compare it to what your father in heaven does. But now if you don't have a natural father or you didn't grow up a natural father, there is a disconnect. I'm trying to understand a perspective about God when I didn't have a natural perspective to compare it to. Or if my comparison is out of its proper place, then I got issues. I, if I grew up in a home and my father was not there, he was unattentive, he was not in my life, then it's hard for me to really understand God and the fathership that he has within our lives. I was watching uh, something here recently about Bill Cosby. And one of the things you remember back in the day that they used to say about him is he's America's father. They're saying a very similar thing to, I think, Bob Saget nowadays, that he's America's father. And as I begin to look at this, and, and one of the unique things about both of them is off of camera, they were different men. Who they were on the camera is what we wanted in our own lives, perhaps. You say, I thought I could just have a daddy like that, that could understand like that, that could joke like that, et cetera, et cetera. But who they were off camera, one of the things that was very interesting with Bob Saget and apparently with Bill Cosby is they were completely different people because who they were displaying on camera was a show. It was what was written. It was what was scripted. But who they were in the booth in the back in the corner was completely different because that was their character. Now, why though is the question I ask, if we always, particularly here in America, saying that's America's dad. 
That's America's dad. This is what America's dad looks like. Why are we looking for this? And I submit to you because we are in a generation post in the midst of, et cetera, of so many people that didn't grow up with a dad. And so we're looking for a model of what does a father look like? We look to TV to try to pattern and find out this is what a dad looks like. We look over here to find out this is what a dad looks like. We're looking for how or what does a dad look like because so many of us grew up without a father. And so when you tell me that God is my father and I am to respect him as my father, then I have a disconnect because I don't understand what that looks like. Is he Bill Cosby or is he Cliff Hustable? Is he Danny Tanner or is he Bob Saget? How do I get an image of who God is as father when I hadn't seen it? So I'm looking, trying to discover what does this look like? And that's part of the problem. So many of us, we can't move into an area of servanthood because we haven't gotten the proper perspective about the fathership aspect of God. And part of the reason why we don't have the proper aspect uh, or perspective concerning God's fathership is because we ain't seen a natural father that represents his heart. So we have a problem. I remember, uh, I guess at this point now, it was a couple years ago, we were in a pastor's meeting. And this was an older pastor. I didn't already, you know, let me just not say that. But we were having a discussion. He was talking about a young man in his church. And he was saying to him, certain things and he was trying to be you know a father figure in his life and he's like he keeps rejecting me and I can't figure out why he can't figure out something why doesn't he just naturally respect me and I remember during that meeting I had to say to him because I felt this on the inside of me you're looking for him to respect you when you haven't led with love with him and the thing is you you looking for something that he doesn't know how to give because he's looking at you saying but do you love me now, I get that you want me to respect you, but do you love me? Do you care about what's going on in my life? Are you interested with the details of my life? Then once we get love in its proper seat, I receive the discipline. The problem is he wanted to do the discipline and have the respect, but he hasn't initiated in the area of love. It's very similar to when, like I, I've indicated in the past, when you have a home that's been broken up and the father is no longer there. The term weekend daddy begins to come up because of the fact, you know, he gets to show up and all he leaves with is fun stuff. Let's go do this. Let's go do that. I remember growing up in my own home. That's one of the things that my dad used to do because he, he wasn't with us every day. So on the, every other weekend he'd show up and we'd go do this, we go do that. He was the weekend dad. Well, there was a problem. That leaves my mother at the house being the one that disciplines. And the reason why she couldn't be the weekend dad or the weekend parent is because she's with us all the time. But one of the things I begin to see as you begin to grow up is that the reason why she didn't have to do with that all the time is because there wasn't a question about love. She was always there. The one that just swoops in has got to do all this other stuff because there's a question in regards to love. Discipline can't proceed first. We got to have love in this proper seat. And I submit to you, that's the issue where servanthood is concerning. That we look to try to follow God's leadings, but we haven't settled in on the inside of us that he loves me. 
He's my father. That means he says, I see you as somebody I'm responsible for. I see you as somebody that I love even when you mess up. I see you as my son and my daughter and you've got to renew your thinking from what you have naturally seen to see who I am. Psalm 68 and verse 5 says, A father to the fatherless and a judge of widows is God in his holy habitation. Now notice verse number 6. It says, God places the lonely in families. And he sets the prisoners free and gives them joy. So he says, verse number five, that he's a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God. Is, this is God. Those dwelling is, uh, whose dwelling is holy. And then he follows up. The scripture says, God places the lonely in families. God says, I will be your father when your father wasn't there. God says, I'll be your father that's perfect even when your natural father was not perfect. You might have grew up in a home and you had a, a, a quote unquote perfect dad. I've seen sons literally crying for their fathers after they died years and years ago. It was a couple years ago I was, I don't know, this is a storytelling sermon. Y'all just, just bear with me now. Remember a couple years ago, I was sitting at the table at a house and, and we were talking about a dad that had died. And I watched the, the son that was talking about his dad tear up and, and he was crying as if he died yesterday. And I watched that and I said to myself, I don't know what that feels like because I didn't have a relationship with my dad like that. But as I was thinking and meditating on that, when I really stop and think about the fathership that God has been to me, it does bring tears in my eyes because I've received him in the absence of my natural father. So when I have the same emotions when you start talking about God as my father, as I saw that natural son have about his dad because I've received God as my father when my natural one wasn't there. God, let me say this, I haven't said this in a while, you are as close to God as you want to be. He wants to be your father. He wants to be there when nobody else is there. The one that will show up in your life when nobody else shows up is your heavenly father, but you've got to receive him as such. Let's look back again in Hebrew, I'm, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. We looked at this on Thursday night, and I got to put some of this foundation together once again. Matthew chapter 11. This is Jesus speaking. He says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. And notice the term. He says, when you come to me, I am the one that will give you rest. We've said that Greek word rest means a repose, a refreshing. It means to take ease. It means to give or take rest. He says, when you come to me, I am the one that dispenses rest in your life. He says, take my yoke upon you and notice the term, learn of me for I am meek and lowly in heart and ye shall find rest for your mind, your will, and your emotions, your soul. Now, one thing that we see in our generation today is we like to read Imagine who Jesus was in the image of the current culture. You see this in a lot when people are talking in terms of cultural issues and they say, well, God loves you. Well, God loves you, but he loves you enough to tell you you got to change. 
that you can't just act in your kind of way because he wouldn't be a good, good father. He'd just let you do whatever it is that you want to do. He says to sneakily, come to me and I'll give you rest. But the next line, he says, take my yoke, which means it's going to require that you take up a position. He says that you're learning me and then I'm meek and lowly and then you'll find rest. There's a reason why all that's connected because, yeah, you're going to find rest when you get here. But that means that you do need to change. He says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. But he says the yoke that you're going to have in your life and the burden that you're going to have on your life is going to be able or you're going to be able to bear up against or with it. The, uh, the message translation, I love how it says, and I'll say it again, says, are you tired, worn out, burned out? Notice this, out on religion. He says, come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. You know, a lot of people are trying to take a rest in all kind of places, like in the bar, in the strip club, and in this kind of place. Some people take a rest. Let me say it like this. This is in my spirit. Some people take a rest every day. They don't spend any time with God, but they'll spend a lot of time on the PS, PSP or on the, uh, the, uh, uh, the other one, the Xbox, looking for a rest. I need a break. He says, Jesus, come to me. I'll show you how to take a real rest. He says, walk with me and work with me and watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to freely or to live freely and lightly. Now, when we're talking in terms of God being your father, I got to set up a foundation in regards to the qualifier as to whether or not he is your father. Because everybody, if you hear the terminology, you know everybody is a child of God. I submit to you the scriptures do not say that. Everybody is not a child of God. So therefore everybody will not submit to God as father or receive God as father. Why is Jesus saying, come to me all ye that labor and heavy laden I'll give you rest because everybody don't come. Now we got to understand the difference between made in the image of God and being a child of God. For that let's look if you will to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 26. Uh, the King James Version of the Bible. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. You got it? Let's look. It says, and God said, let us make man, watch the term, in our image, after our likeness. And he says, and let them have, notice the term, them, indicating to us, he's talking about male and female, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowls of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. This is before the fall. So he says essentially, let us make man in our image and our likeness. One commentator says essentially, it means in the nature and the constitution of his soul. Let us make man in the place of authority. In other words, he has dominance over the natural earth, the fish of the sea over the fowls of the air, over the cattle, over the earth itself. And it also means a place of purity and rectitude or spiritual innocence. He says, God created man in his image and in his likeness. 
Every single person that's born of a woman is created in the image and the likeness of God, regardless of the color of their skin. Every person that's born is made in the image and the likeness of God, and that's where we all have uniformity. But it's also in the same place where in chapter 3, where Adam and Eve get into issues, that's where we all have this in common as well. Chapter 3, Adam and Eve decide to disobey what God says and embrace what the devil says. And what begins to happen is we have the entrance of sin into the world. Well, what took place here is inside of Adam and Eve is the seed of every single man and woman that is today. Now, certain things still continue today where we're made in the image and likeness of God. God's given us, therefore, the ability to have moral agency, the ability to make a decision. Animals operate off of instinct, but man operates based on a rational and intelligent uh, a way of seeing things or perspective. They have the ability to choose or chart a course. The dominion that we see that God establishes in uh, Genesis chapter 1 still is in, in, in effect today because we are dominating over animals, if you will. If you have a pet in your home, you tell your pet where to go. Go this way, come, all these kind of things. If you have a horse, we ride horses. Horses don't ride us. We dominate or we have dominion over animals. We control as to whether or not our populations or everything are healthy because of we do certain things where maybe trash is concerned, where our activity is concerned, and make sure that our environment is healthy. In other words, this domination or this authority still sits in its place for every single person. But the spiritual nature of a man, when they are born, is of Adam because of the original sin of Adam. Now look, if you will, to John chapter 3. John chapter 3 and verse number 1. We're going to look for the sake of time out of the New Living Translation um, for this passage of Scripture. John chapter 3. <clears throat> this is Jesus speaking with Nicodemus. It says, there was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. He was a leader in the church during that time. We can say it like this. And after dark one evening, he came and spake with Jesus. So the, the preacher said, let me slide up and talk with Jesus. I see what's going on. But I'm going to slide up in the dark. I always get tickled when I read this passage of the scripture because this is exactly how preachers do. And we don't come during the day during the meeting. No, no, no. We come during the dark and say, hey, 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 man, I want to talk to you for a few minutes. He says, Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evident that God is with you. He says, verse number three, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless, watch this, you are born again, you cannot, notice the term, see the kingdom of God. He used the first time this area of being born again. Verse number four, he says, for what do you mean? This is Nicodemus say, exclaimed Nicodemus. How can, an, how can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? This seems like a rational question. Jesus says you must be born again. Only thing that Nicodemus can understand is you. So you're saying you want a grown person to climb back into his mother's womb and be born again? 
Verse number five, Jesus says, or Jesus replies, I assured you, no one can enter. Notice now he first says, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. This time he says, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being, watch the term, born of water and the spirit. Born of water and the spirit. Verse number six, he says, humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised, he says, when I say to you, or I say, you must be born again. So I submit to you, Jesus is indicating two births. He says, you can't enter into the kingdom of God unless you have these two qualifiers, born of water. Well, what is born of water? When if you ever had a wife, well, you, or you know, because I know the generation I live in, even if you had a baby mama, if you will. <laughs> the first thing they ask when she starts uh, having contractions when she's pregnant, they ask the question, has her water broke? Because we are born in water. And so Jesus is indicating this. He says, born of water. He's referring to natural birth. But he says to be born again, it requires born of water and born of the spirit. Born of water or natural birth, I submit to you, means to be born in the image and the likeness of God, which is something we all have in common. But born of the Spirit, therefore, is something completely different, which we all don't have in common. Two births, not just one. Born of water or natural birth, yes, we all are made in the image and the likeness of God. Born of the Spirit, though, is a different birth. Flip back since we're at John chapter 3 to John chapter 1. John chapter 3 to John chapter 1. There's just going to be some scripture this morning. It says, but as many as received him, to them gave he power, notice the term, to become sons of God, even to them that believed on his name. Notice how it says in the Amplified, it says, but to as many as did receive and welcome him. He gave the authority, the power, the privilege, the right to become children of God. That is to those who believe in, adhere to, and trust and rely on his name. Which means this must be a birth of choice. It's not something that happened naturally. Your first birth was not a choice that you had. Your mom and your daddy got together and then you came. You didn't have a choice or say in regards to natural birth. But he says this second birth is, he says, are those that received and welcomed him, he gave power to become children of God. Verse number 13 out of the uh, King James says, which were born not of blood, not of natural, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So what he says in the Amplified is, who owe their births neither to blood nor to the will of flesh, the physical impulse. In other words, we don't owe our spiritual birth to that of a mother and a father getting together. He says, nor to the will of man, 
that a natural or that of a natural father, but to God. They are born of God. What am I trying to get you to see this morning? I'm trying to get you to understand that everybody is made in the image of God, but everybody is not, therefore, a child of God. And do not allow the words, the world's lexicon to get into your mouth. And you start saying, well, everybody's a child of God. Everybody is not a child of God. Then you would think that wouldn't be controversial, but today it actually is. Reverend, everybody's not a child of God. No, everybody is not a child of God. Everybody has the ability to become one. But everybody hasn't received and welcomed Jesus into their heart and into their life. Then give, therefore giving them this ability to call God their father. All humanity is by natural birth. All humanity is by natural birth. All humanity, therefore, also has to make a choice to become born again. Everyone there, I say, is born and made in God's image and likeness, but not everyone is a child of God. That is the distinctive mark here. Everybody is a son and a daughter of Adam and Eve because they were the original man and woman. When they got into sin, the sin nature passed from Adam and Eve to every generation that would follow. And so therefore we had to have somebody come and begin to split that generation so that we can step out of the seed of Adam into the seed of somebody else that could therefore save us. This is the reason why Jesus came. This is the reason why Jesus came not born of a man but born of a woman so he could be from the seed of God himself clothed in flesh so that we can be born out of Adam and into the second Adam as the scripture says into Jesus Christ. Why am I saying this? Because receiving God as father first starts and begins with understanding what took place in the new birth. The day you welcome Jesus into your life, you start being born natural and being born the second time, which is born again spiritual. From that point on, it didn't matter how bad your natural daddy was. You became the seed of Jesus. You were born supernaturally the day you said yes to God, I receive you. And from that day forward, God says, not only do I say that you are my seed, I say that you're my son, you're my daughter. And I declare that just as royal as I am, I declare that you're royalty because you are connected to me. And so everything that you see that I am, you are. Because you're in me. From this day forward, Father God sees you not as somebody that's afar off, as Ephesians says, but someone that's been brought near by the blood of Jesus. Romans chapter 8, let's look at this. Romans chapter 8 and verse 15. The scripture says, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, notice the term, Abba, Father. Well, what is Abba, Father? It means literally, Daddy God. He says, you received the spirit of adoption. Yes, you were out there. But the day you welcome and receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the spirit of adoption, he said, I brought you into the family. And on the inside of your spirit, it says, Daddy God. Now look over here, Galatians chapter 4, for the sake of time out of the voice. The scripture says, because you are now part of God's family, he sent the spirit of his son into our hearts 
and the Spirit calls out, Abba, Father, Daddy God. Abba, Father, Daddy God. Again, one of the issues that we have again is that you hear the terminology, and then we talked about this a little bit on Thursday. You hear people still saying, I'm, I am a, a sinner saved by grace. I'm a sinner saved by grace. And we got a problem here. Because these are two spiritual realities. And you cannot possess the same at, at the same time. You cannot be a sinner and saved by grace. You are either a sinner or you're saved by grace. You can't be the same at the same time. So the day you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I was a sinner, but now I'm saved by the grace of God. I was a wretch, but now I've been brought in and he declares me a son and a daughter. The spirit of him that raised Jesus from the dead now lives on the inside of me and he cries out, Abba, Father, or Daddy God. My adoption into the family of God was because I welcome him because of what he did for me on the cross. And my new identity is not based on the family that I came out of. It's based on the God that I now serve. Now look over here at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. Out of the King James Version of the Bible, it says, Therefore, if any man, be notice the term in Christ. In Christ. My new location is not in Adam. My new location is in Christ. He says he is a new creature. A new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. He says the day you got born again, you became a new creature in Christ Jesus. The Amplified says the spiritual, old spiritual uh, condition is passed away and you become a new creation in Christ Jesus, which means God now becomes your father. Now I go from just being made in the image of God to now God is my Abba father. And he, then he goes on and he says, and all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself. How did he reconcile us to himself? By Jesus Christ. That's how you're brought back to the Father, by Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ then becomes the mediator between God and man. The one that sets between the sin that man once had to the righteousness that God is. It's Jesus. It's when you meet Jesus that you are now bridged. The bridge between man and God is back in its proper place. And he says, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. He says, essentially, when you brought into the kingdom of God, you brought into the kingdom to be able to go tell somebody else that you too can be brought into the kingdom of God. And God can become your Abba Father if you welcome and receive him. Now, listen, how you relate to God is the foundation of everything. How you relate to God Therefore, becomes the foundation of everything. Everything that you do in life is rooted in this area of how I relate to God. If I see myself only as a sinner, then I'm never going to embrace God as my father. Because you can't stay in the same spot. If I say, Lord, I'm so unworthy to be here. Then one is showing God that you have a level of spiritual ignorance concerning the promise and the covenant that he cut in the New Testament with Jesus Christ in his blood. And you haven't received him as who he says that you are yet. 
And so even though you may be a son and a daughter, if you don't understand this new identity that you have, you will never step into an area of faith that you are intended to walk in. Because you acting like you ain't supposed to be there. Let me give you a natural example. If we brought in a child from off of the street and brought them into our house and said, okay, we're going to choose this child. We're going to adopt them. And what's going to happen is you're going to get our name. And you're going to be brought in as my adopted child. From that day forward, they are just as connected to me as my natural two daughters. They have all the rights that my same natural two daughters have as far as the law is because they have everything. They even take on my name because they've been brought into the family. Now, what kind of silliness does this look like if that new adopted daughter that I brought in comes in and say, oh, I'm just so no good. I can't sit at the table with Raymond and Zoe. I can't do that. We're going to look at them and say, now, baby, what, but what's wrong with you? No, no, daddy, I can't sit there because I'm so unworthy. I'm so no good. They say, well, no, no, look, don't you see Raymond and Zoe sitting at the table? Girl, sit down and get some meat. What's wrong with you? No, I can't sit at the table because that table prepared so great. I can't sit. We have a disconnect where our relationship is concerned because you haven't received me yet as your father. When you receive God as your father, you sit down at the table. You know, that's what Psalms 23 is really talking about. He preparing a table for you in the presence of your enemy. He's not talking about a table that's in heaven because you ain't got no enemies in heaven. So he's talking about a table that's on the natural. He says, sit down in the place that I prepared for you as a son and a daughter. And he says, what's on that table? Healing's on that table. Protection's on that table. Prosperity's on that table. And you got hold of it because I brought you in as my child. You take my name and I say, sit down and get the things that I've already prepared for you to take by faith. The issue is the issue in regards to seeing God as father. The story of the Bible is about God's love for man. The more we begin to understand this concept, then we begin to understand the story of redemption is from the heart of God and his heart is from that of love because he is love. He sees Adam and Eve made this massive mistake. He says, I can't let that resign. I got to fix this because I love Adam and Eve. I love everybody that's connected to Adam and Eve and I can't let them just go to hell and be separated from me for all eternity. If you don't know how God's view or how or if you if you are if you are or don't understand how you are to properly view God, then faith will always be connected within your life. Look over here really quick as we close. First John chapter three and verse number one. Scripture says, I have the New Living Translation. See how much our Father loves us. For he calls us his children. And that is what we are. But the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we are God's children because they didn't know him. Jesus came and they asked, are you the Christ or we'd expect somebody else? One of the reasons why God, uh, the, the, the people of the world don't recognize us now because they didn't recognize Jesus. He says, how important it is that you understand that how much God loves you. How important it is how much God loves you. Look at this out of the Amplified Version of the Bible. says, see what an incredible, watch the term, quality of love the Father has shown towards us that we would be permitted to be named and called and counted 
the children of God. I am a child of God. He's my heavenly father. My natural father might not have been there, but my heavenly father says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. My natural father may never have left an inheritance for me, but God said, I died for you and I left an inheritance for you that supersedes anything a natural father didn't do for you. My natural father might not have seen me or been there at any part of my life. God says, I saw every element, every hurt, every scar, and I'm healed to deliver and set you free from everything that's been ailing you. God says, if you would welcome me into your life, I will be the father that you didn't have. And I will even be the father for the ones that did have a father. I will supersede even him. I can be your father, but it does require that you welcome and receive me to be your father. And that's what makes you my child. It's not something I'm ever going to force. It's something that you've got to receive. Let's pray. Father, in the authority of the name of Jesus, we honor you and we bless you, Lord, for being our Father. We thank you, Lord, that for the privilege of being able to call you Father. We thank you, Lord, that where our natural fathers weren't there, God, we thank you that you are an ever-present help in a time of need. Lord, I pray under the sound of my voice, Lord, that, that this revelation about your fathership grows and grows and grows. That your people would see how much you love them. How much you love them. God, it's by your love because you love us so much, Lord, that we submit our lives to you because you loved us first. We lay it all down for you because you showed us by laying it all down for us first. Lord, let your love reign over your people. In Jesus' name. Let's make this confession of our faith. Say, God loves me just like I am. I am a son or a daughter of the Most High God. God takes care of me. He takes care of my needs. He takes care of even my wants. I seek him first. His kingdom. Everything else is added to me. Because I am his child. And he loves me. Amen.
Wah, wah, wah.